All right, guys, any kids between four and first grade? Let's head this way. All right, Ms. Gala, thank you for taking care of the little ones this morning. All right, so normally, um, I think, I'm, I'm persuaded and convinced that the best way to preach is you get in a book and you stay in that book for a while. That way, uh, you aren't picking a topic that you feel is urgent at the moment, but instead, you are going through what the Lord has laid out in the way that the Lord has laid it out. And I think that is the best way for us to approach preaching. But the book of Psalms uh, may be a little bit of an exception to that because I was at a church. Now, I love good preaching. I love good preaching. As much as I love music and as passionately as I feel about it, most of the time when I'm driving down the road, I'm listening to good preaching because I want to learn something I don't know. I want to be able to preach better, so I listen to good preaching. Um, so as much as I love good preaching, I was with a church a few years back that had good preaching. But we preached out of Psalm 119 every Wednesday for what seemed like about 10 years. Um, if it seemed like about 10 years to me, then I'm sure it really seemed like about 20 years to most folks. So... I don't think the Psalms are necessarily one that we need to stay in forever, but we do need a steady diet of the Psalms. So today we're going to study Psalm 1, and then next week we'll get into a book and, and stay there for a little while. Let me read the text here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." So I want us to see today that there are two divergent ways laid out for us in Psalm 1. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. These are two distinct paths that we can go down. Now I would guess that many of you are familiar with Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. It ends with these words, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that made all the difference. Well, there are two ways or paths clearly laid out here in Psalm 1, and the one that you take will make all the difference. Sometimes people on one of these ways can become a little inconsistent, though. Some folks that are on the way of the righteous Sometimes act like they're not. Sometimes on the people on the way of the wicked can do nice things and charitable things. So there's some crossover there in how we actually behave ourselves. But the overarching uh, way that our life is going is one of these two ways. You know, the great Apostle Paul said in Romans seven fifteen through 24, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, The struggle is real. I imagine you have felt that same struggle that Paul is talking about right now. He says, look, I want to do what's right, but that's not always what I do. And I think everybody could give that testimony, even the great Apostle Paul. So if it was a struggle for him, it's sure enough going to be a struggle for us. I'm, I'm so glad that the Bible accurately portrays the saints. You know, it would be so frustrating if Paul never said anything like that. And, uh, and you know, you have John over here writing, hey, uh, in 1 John, hey, if you're, if you're walking in the light, you're going to act like you're walking in the light. You're going to be in the light. You're not going to sin. Um, and then thankfully John says, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And if you say you didn't sin, you lied, right? So they give us these breaks where they say, hey, be perfect. But we know you're not going to quite be perfect, but try to be perfect. And so even Paul felt this, this struggle. So those who are on the way of the righteous are sometimes inconsistent. But the overall direction is the pursuit of righteousness. You know, um, when you invest in the stock market, if you watch the stock market every day or two, you're going to die soon of hypertension, right? You're going to have a stroke. But if you invest and you leave it alone, the overall way that the market is going to go is up. I used to uh, do financial counseling. Uh, I worked for a firm in Germantown. It was uh, Shoemaker Financial Planners. And so we would sit down with people and we'd say, all right, uh, we'd give them a risk assessment and we'd see how nervous they would get if stocks would go down for a little while. And if they could stand it, if they were a young investor, I would say, be aggressive Get in there in aggressive stocks and just don't look at it. Five years later, look at it and you'll see that you like it. All right, so the overall arc of the market is up. And that's how the way of the righteous, the overall trends, uh, the overall way of our life needs to be one that is pointing toward righteousness. All right, Psalm 1 and verse 6 tells us that there are two ways. One of them leads to eternal fruitfulness and the other to obscurity, meaninglessness, and eventually hell. You know, I love visiting our saints in the nursing home, but it can be somewhat emotionally taxing. You know, I go in there and there's some folks that are happy. They're, they're glad to be there. They're fine. They're saying, hey, somebody's taking care of me. Somebody's feeding me. I don't have to cook. This is cool. Some of them are not as satisfied, and they're not very happy about being there, and they don't want to be there. And then some of them are dealing with some physical infirmities. And so I love love going, and I love trying to encourage them and to pray for them. But also I see that, you know, there is suffering, and suffering lies ahead for people who, um, you know, fall into poor health. All of us are either 
going to die or get old, right? <laughs> I mean, those are the two options. Uh, some of us already are old, although our ladies don't look like it, but that's what they tell me anyway. Even people who are feeling that infirmity, people who are kind of suffering physically, if they are among the righteous, then they have so much to look forward to. When they pass away, they will be healed, they'll be perfect, they'll be free from sin completely, they will have uninhibited fellowship with God, they have got so much to look forward to. On the other hand, those people who are in the nursing home and and having to deal with the infirmity, the ones who are not reconciled to God, it is as good as it's ever going to get right then. And it's not very good. So we have these two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And we need to be careful to make sure that we know which one we are on. The future is truly meaningless for those who are separated from God, regardless of what you accomplish in this life. You know, the world tells us that the one who dies with the most toys wins, right? Well, that is nonsense because you don't get to take any of those toys with you. So let's think for a second. Um, Hugh Hefner, he was a rich guy. Is he still alive? I can't remember. Think so? All right, he's a rich guy. He has had a lot of the things that I think um, the world would see as success. Everybody knows his name. Uh, He has lived in a mansion, hung around some of the most beautiful women in the world. He's had a good life from the world's perspective. But let's contrast this with um, one of my heroes. Uh, He's going to fuss at me later. One of my heroes is Brother Don. You may say, why is that? Well, it's because he's been a faithful servant of God for years and years and years. You know, when I, if I reach Brother Don's age, I want somebody to look at me and say, this guy has been faithful to serve Christ for decades and decades. That's what I want. That's going to be success for me. So, when Brother Don meets the Lord, there's going to be celebration. There's going to be reward. There's going to be all kind of good things. There are going to be people there who say, Brother, I wouldn't be here if you hadn't shared the gospel with me. Thank you for that. That's going to be amazing, right? When you, Hefner, on the other hand, meets the Lord, it's going to be a very, very different scene. Because, you know, it's not just what we do in the body. It's, it's what influence we have in the body. So the people that have been witnessed to and have come to Christ and then have led other people to Christ, that is going to be part of the legacy and part of the reward for the saints. But you know, people who have been plunged into a life of addiction to pornography, marriages that have been destroyed by pornography, that's going to be part of the judgment and part of the legacy of Hugh Hefner. So you understand, this thing goes on and on and on beyond what we just see. There's going to be a big old change in direction at that time for these two folks. Now, the two ways are described for us here in this psalm. Verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, do you see the progression here that sin takes? First of all, the guy walks, the, the evil guy walks in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, and then sits in the seat of scoffers. 
This guy is slowing down. He's spending more time. He is planting himself, if he's the wicked man, in the way and in the presence and in the company of other wicked people. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. When men are living in sin, they go from bad to worse. At first, they merely walk in the counsel of the careless and ungodly who forgot God. The evil is rather practical than habitual. But after that, they become habituated to evil and they stand in the way of open sinners who willfully violate God's commandments. And if let alone, they go one step further and become themselves pestilent teachers and tempters of others. And thus, they sit in the seat of the scornful. They have taken their degree in vice and as true doctors of damnation, they are installed So what Spurgeon is saying there very eloquently is the more you sin, the more comfortable you become with sin, the more ready to sin again you are, and then the company that you keep certainly influences what kind of life you live. You know, we've all heard the saying, you are what you eat, right? I heard one guy say, if you like a lot of fat, greasy food, you're going to be a fat, greasy dude. (laughs) I thought, okay. Uh, That's another way to say that. Uh, Unfortunately, I like a lot of fat, greasy food. But uh, this year, though, my wife is trying to help me uh, do some things better uh, as far as eating goes. I'm a diabetic, unfortunately, and uh, I have got to get my act together or things are going to get worse. And so I have, and this is amazing, this is kind of on par with the Red Sea parting, but I have become a vegan for the whole year so far. (laughs) <laughs> all right, I don't like it. It's no fun at all, but I'll tell you what's happening. Um, I've lost about nine pounds this year already. Uh, my blood sugar's gone down. Every, every measurable thing is getting better because of what I'm eating, all right? Well, the same thing applies to the company we keep. If we hang around people who are a positive influence, who are growing fruitful Christians, that's going to encourage us to be that. If we hang around people like this verse talks about, the wicked, the way of sinners, and the seed of scoffers, then we are going to become like the people we hang around. If you want to know who you are becoming, then look at your closest friends, and you're going to find out who it is that you're going to be in a few years. Are they on the path of the wicked, or are they on the path of the righteous? Verse 2 says, but his delight, now this is the wise fellow, the righteous guy, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. All right, I think there may be something to this meditating on the word thing. (laughs) Last week we were talking in Joshua chapter 1, and verse 8 of Joshua 1 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So week after week, we keep seeing that the wise and prosperous person meditates on the Word of God day and night. Now the Lord tells us this repeatedly. Do you think He knows what He's talking about? All right. Next question. Do you want to be fruitful and have success? Okay. If you think he knows what he's talking about and you want to be fruitful and have success, then read, learn, and meditate on the Word of God. 
Now, some people get the idea that if you follow God, you give up fun in exchange for heaven. That's the trade-off, right? Everything costs something. So we get rid of our fun and our ambition to have fun, and we, we sacrifice that, and the reward is we get heaven. Well, this is wrong, guys. This verse says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, the devil doesn't create stuff. He just perverts stuff and then uses that perverted stuff to tempt people. God-given delights, when they become twisted by the devil, become the things that he uses as bait. You know, when I talk to people, um, and, and when Brother and I, Don and I go out, or when I've talked to folks over the years, the ones who are honest about why they don't want to follow Jesus, normally, no matter how old they are, the reason is, It has to do with relationships. It has to do with their relationships with the opposite sex or sometimes the same sex. But you know, you know what I'm getting at here. That is usually the reason people are, will finally say if they're honest, I don't want to follow Jesus because I'll have to give up this sinful relationship. Well, what we know is if we follow the prescription of scripture, okay, if we find the right person, marry the right person, stay faithful to the right person then that actually is the most fulfilling way to, to fulfill that need of a relationship that God gives us. We just, we know things they don't know. We know that it's not giving up fun, it's not giving up enjoyment to follow Christ. It's having your desires changed into godly versions of, of what the worlds are. You see, uh, Dr. Rogers used to say, when you come to Christ and you're saved, He gives you a whole new set of want-tos. The things you used to want, the things you used to pursue, are no longer the things that you wholeheartedly pursue. Now, I'm not saying that sin is not tempting to us. Of course it is. But there's something better. All right, if I came into the house today and there was some beef jerky lying on the the counter, I'd say, ooh, I hadn't had meat in weeks. (laughs) I want that beef jerky. But if sitting beside that beef jerky was a big old steak, oh, I'm going to kill myself here. I'm talking about meat. All right. So if I saw that big old steak, you know what? I wouldn't want the beef jerky anymore. Why? Because I'd want to pass over what is good for what is better. And so I've told my kids, guys, it's not when you come to Christ, it's not that we no longer desire the, the sins or the things of the flesh. It's not that we don't desire it anymore. It's that we desire something else more. And so when we're, when we're regenerate, when we're believers, when we're walking with God, we want sinful things sometimes, but what we really want is to please God and to have uninterrupted fellowship with Him. So we want the greater thing more, and that helps us to stay on that path of the righteous. Let's look at our next point here. There are divergent ways shown to us. The two ways are described for us. But then we see that one of them leads to flourishing and the other is completely fruitless. Verse 3 said, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Again, do you want to prosper? (laughs) Then walk in the way of the righteous. Now, prosper doesn't necessarily mean riches. Although studies have been done that show that people with a Christian work ethic tend to make better choices, be more successful, uh, because if you work as unto the Lord, you're going to put all your effort into your work. 
you're going to be better than the other employer who's only doing what he has to do, the employee, I mean. And so you're going to get raises. So it does work out that sometimes if you work with a Christian work ethic, you are more materially successful. And studies have also shown that if you do things in the right order, if you marry before you have children, and you know, then you have an opportunity to finish your education and that kind of thing. So, so there is material blessing there just by listening to the Lord and doing what he says to do. But this prospering is not necessarily material. You know, John Allen Chu Chow, do y'all know how to say his name? I don't know his name. But this awesome guy who was 27 was killed by an isolated tribe on a remote Indian island back in November. I'm sure you saw something about that on the news. He wrote the following thing to his parents. He said, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. This man is enjoying eternal prosperity right now. So let me ask, are you fruitful for the kingdom? Jesus said that you would know a tree by its fruit. So if you're not producing fruit for the kingdom, there are some possibilities that we need to investigate. One, the first one is, are you really saved? Now there are folks, guys, there are folks in lots and lots of positions in the church. There are people who have been here for decades who are not saved. Guys, I met a fellow just uh, this past week who has fallen away from the faith, largely, maybe completely. He was a pastor, a pastor in a Southern Baptist church. It doesn't matter if you, if you attend church. <laughs> Attending church is great, and it's beneficial for the saints, and it's good for the lost because they can hear the gospel. But it doesn't mean that you're saved. It doesn't mean that you're saved if you're a deacon. It doesn't mean that you're saved if you're a pastor. It doesn't mean that you're saved. What means that you're saved is you've exchanged your sin for Christ's righteousness. So we need to look carefully at if we're producing fruit. And if we're not, the first thing is, are we really a follower of Christ? The second thing is, are you growing and maturing? If you're not growing and maturing, it could be that you really do have life. But metaphorically speaking, you've been planted where there's not much sunlight, not good soil, and you're not getting nourished. We're going to give you opportunities to grow. Let me urge you to take those opportunities. Now, if you've been stagnant in your growth, you need to read the word, okay? Read the word, join a small group, and begin sharing your faith. And it will be like you have been taken from that shady spot with the bad soil and you've been put in a sunny place with some great soil and fed miracle grow okay if you want to grow spiritually and you're not growing spiritually if you will read the word if you will join a small group and if you will start sharing your faith you will grow in your faith i had a guy that used to come to me and say man i don't know what the deal is but i'm not living a a victorious Christian life, and I want to. And I'd say, okay, 
That's great. And that is, man, when you come up to a pastor and say, I'm not growing spiritually, but I want to, that's like saying sick him to a bulldog, right? That's what we want to hear. That's what we want to help with. Our calling is to equip the saints. And so I'd say to this guy, all right, man, that's great. Read the word. He'd say, okay. He'd come back to me in three months and say, man, I'm not growing spiritually. And I'd say, are you reading the word? And he'd say, no. I'd say, okay, read the word. Then we'll go on to step two, but read the word. He'd say, okay. Well, this would continue forever, right? Because he didn't really want to grow spiritually if it took any effort on his part. It does take some effort on our part. But trust me and see, if you want to grow spiritually, do those three things I just asked you to do and then come and tell me I'm wrong. A tree planted by streams of water is always getting fed. You know, this thing is, it's not, it doesn't have to wait on the rain. It's already well watered all the time because it's planted by these streams of water. You will be too constantly fed if you meditate on the word of God like verse 2 tells you to. The other thing I find incredibly nourishing and life-giving is the company of other saints. You know, the company of other people who are growing in their faith. That's who I want to be around. That encourages me and challenges me. And it will you as well. Guys, I know that I harp on small groups all the time. And you may wonder why. But let me tell you why. In the 46 years of my life in a Baptist church, it is the best, single best way I've found to make connections with those believers who can encourage me and who can challenge me. 46 years is a long time of doing research, okay? And what I found is that small groups are the best way to, to make those meaningful, lasting connections. Soon we're going to have some new groups starting, and I want you to check those out. The way of the righteous is one in which we are continually watered, watered by the word and watered through the church. Let's look at verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So it's as if the psalmist is saying, all right, everything I just said about the, the prosperous way of the righteous, forget all that for the way of the wicked, none of that applies. It says they're like chaff that is driven away by the wind. Now, when you harvest uh, grain, what they would do is they would beat it and they would loosen the little the husk that's around the grain. And then they would take uh, some kind of fork or something and they'd throw it up in the air and the wind would catch this chaff, this insubstantial stuff, and blow it away. All right, so they take the grain, they beat on it, they throw it up in the air. When they throw it up, the chaff is just washed away by the wind, okay? And then they have the grain. So it's just some insubstantial little stuff. The way of the wicked is passing away. It's meaningless. The wicked are of no real lasting consequence. You know, Hollywood and God are quite divided on this matter. Our lost society celebrates the wicked, but their stories are going to end really soon. But the stories of the way of the, of the righteous are never going to end. We're going to be worshiping God from now through eternity. That is a big difference. So we see that one way leads to flourishing and one to fruitlessness. But then we see that there are two final ends when the judgment comes. Verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So this is kind of the point. This is the point of the psalm, okay? 
The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, my dogs don't ever worry about anything. If they have food in their bowl and somebody to rub them every now and then, they're happy as can be. They don't ever go, man, I wonder how my investments are doing. I wonder if I need to replace the tires on my car. Um, My air conditioner is 22 years old this year. I wonder if I'm going to have to replace that thing and if I need to budget for that. They don't care about any of that stuff, right? They don't think about the future at all. They don't worry. We, however, can think abstractly and need to think about eternity. You know, I've, I've shared with you before that, that one of my brothers, um, both of my brothers are lost. And, and one of them uh, I talked to about spiritual things. And it seems to me that he has the ability to not think about spiritual things, not to think about eternal things throughout the whole entire year until I bring them up at Christmas. I don't really, I don't know how exactly you do that. Um, I can tell you, you can't go visit folks in the nursing home and not think about eternal things. But some folks can put it out of their mind. But we'd better not do that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I introduced you to this Latin phrase called Coram Deo. And I told you it means in the presence of or before the face of God. So that is how we need to live with that view of eternity. And because judgment is coming, like this verse says, whether or not you approve of it or whether or not you believe in it, judgment is still coming. You know, we have people who believe... uh, relativism is the is the thing to embrace they say well what's true for you is great if it works for you but what's true for me is what i'm going to pursue well i could say i don't believe if i walk out in the middle of 16th avenue while traffic is coming that it's going to hurt me but if i walk out in the middle of 16th avenue while traffic is coming i'm going to get squished right it's not whether we believe it or or not it's what is actually going to happen and you and i know that judgment is actually coming And so we need to live like it, but we need to warn our neighbors about it as well. So what do we do? What do we do with this stuff we learn? The first thing is we need to go through the gate that leads to the path of righteousness. John 10, 7 through 10, Jesus explains that he is the gate to that path. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The next thing is we need to water our spiritual life with the miracle grow of the word of God and the church of God. All right, again, let me ask you to do three things. I know, I know folks forget sermons real quick, but hang on to these three things. Read the Bible. Join a small group. Share your faith and teach others to do so. If we collectively will do those three things, I guarantee that you will grow in your walk with the Lord. I challenge you to prove me wrong. Do those three things. And prove me wrong. I give you your money back for this sermon, okay? Come on. (laughs) Let's do those things. Guys, if you grow in your spiritual walk with God, and I grow in my spiritual walk with God, do you know what that means? (laughs) That means West Laurel Baptist Church is growing in our relationship to God. I know some of you guys 
just adore this building. It's not the church. It's the church house. We are the church. And if we grow individually, and if we obey the Lord individually, then our church is growing, and our church is obeying the Lord. Now, if we get out and we speak to people and we share the gospel with those people, the Lord is going to bless this place, and we are going to grow together. We're going to grow spiritually, and I dare say, if we were to all get on board with that, we would grow numerically as well. The next thing I want you to do is help others. Well, we're already talking about that. Help others get on the path with you. Look, we see the end. We realize that these two divergent ways lead to two different ends. One is blessedness and reward and and unity with Christ forever. The other is separation, punishment, hell, obscurity, fruitlessness. All right? We have to warn folks that are going down that road. You know, uh, if you saw a road where you knew the bridge was out and you knew that people speeding down there were going to die, you'd be a monster not to tell them. Am I right? We got to tell them, okay? And so this is more consequence than that does. If I drive down a road and I drive off a bridge and I die, guess what? I go to heaven. (laughs) I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to do that today. But it's more important that we see people who are hell-bound and we stop them and we warn them. We tell them, hey, the way you're going is going to end in a very bad place. Let me tell you some good news. Now, sometimes folks don't want to hear that. Sometimes they do want to hear that. Not our job. We just go tell them. If we tell them the bridge is out and they say, I don't believe you and going down the road, that's not on you, right? But we do have to tell them. What it is we're going to tell them is this. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that has separated us from God. It has messed up our relationship. When God created us, He created us in unity with Him and in a relationship with Him. But we chose, back with Adam and Eve, to place our faith in the word of the serpent rather than in the word of God. And we messed up that relationship. But God solved that problem for us in the person of Jesus Christ, who came here, lived a perfect, righteous life, fulfilled the law on our behalf, and then died in our place. Folks, we can tell people that God has a way that He made for you to have a relationship with Him, for you to be in unity with Him. And then we can explain the gospel to Him and say that, guys, your sin can be forgiven based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, And his righteousness can be imparted to you. And you can have faith and fellowship with God. That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? But thank God it is true. So Psalm 1 tells us there's a way of the righteous. There's a way of the wicked. Folks, I was barreling down the way of the wicked. Until the Lord stopped me. You know how he stopped me? A faithful guy presented the gospel to me. And then the Lord gave me faith. Then I repented of my sins and placed my faith in Jesus. If you've not done that, let me encourage you to do that today. Now, meeting that pastor who had, who had gotten away from his faith was heartbreaking to me. I woke up in the middle of the night the next night at 2 o'clock, and I stayed up from 2 o'clock till about 6 o'clock praying for this guy off and on. It's tragic, guys. But the fact that that hasn't happened to you is God's grace. Now, I don't believe this guy actually had faith in the beginning, 
or he wouldn't be without it now. Or maybe he had faith and he's just having a really rough time and he's not actually abandoning the faith. I don't know. But I believe the Lord who saves you will keep you saved by his grace and his goodness. But guys, there are people all, all around us, all around us, who don't understand that gospel and who need to hear it. So I don't have any special gifting. I don't have any special gifting to share the gospel. It makes me nervous. It doesn't make me nervous near as bad as it used to. <laughs> but it makes me a little bit nervous to go walk up and knock on a door and speak to somebody. I understand that stuff. We can overcome those things. We can overcome those things together. It'd be all right. Let me encourage you to pray. And I do this on Wednesday. I ask our people, pray that we in this building will be ready to meet the challenge. When we're, when we're able to train folks and we come to you and say, hey, we've got 17 slots. We need people who want to learn to share their faith. We need response. 